Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Jerome Daly, the author of Gravitas, The Monastic Rhythms of Healthy Leadership. So, Jerome, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Josh. Yeah. Now, I, I do have a confession to make to you before we begin. We, we got this interview set up very quickly, and very, very rarely do I ever interview someone before I've read their book. Uh, so I don't know if the mail is just being slow, but somewhere in between Tyndale House and my house is your book, and I promise you uh, that I I will <laughs> read it. I will, you know, I I will, I will give my time to it uh, when it arrives. So so when I'm asking you these questions, these are these are genuine questions that I don't know the answer to. I'm not leading you uh, anywhere. So you know, feel free to uh, sort of. Uh, guide me along in this process. but So let, let's just start, I guess, with the overall concept. Uh, what do you mean by monastic rhythms? Well, I've been intrigued in recent years by, by monastic communities like the Benedictines. That particular community is the one that I have drawn on for this book. And the things that are, have, have been important to them for the last, you know, 1,500 years uh, there's something, I mean, our lives are far removed from any kind of monastery, right? Mm -hmm. But these were and are, continue to be, uh, communities that have been all about going deep in God and then living out of that, out of that life, having that overflow into the work that they do in their communities. Um, you know, I have been aware in my own life and in the lives of leaders that I coach that there is a, just a deep hunger for, for some spiritual weight in their lives, uh, for a sense of, I, I, use, I use the word authority, but I have to qualify it because it's not positional authority. It's like this integrity of character mm -hmm. that, uh, that I think we, we need now more than ever if if we're people are looking to us to be trustworthy leaders, you know we we need more than a, a nameplate on the door, or or some title behind our name. We've got to be able to carry something of substance in our souls that comes through in our words and in our person, in our presence, uh, so that that would be compelling. That would be um, moving to those that we influence and would influence people in a healthy direction. Mm -hmm. So that sort of led me to exploring the monastic tradition. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like the difficulty that you might have with people who are unfamiliar with any of this is that they hear monastic tradition and they're thinking medieval age monks, they're thinking chanting in Latin, they're thinking wearing burlap. Right. How do we pull, you know, how do we pull ourselves into the modern times from the typical conception that people have? Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. And, you know, some of those stereotypes probably have some roots of truth to them if you go back far enough and would feel completely foreign to our world today. So what I've tried to do, Josh, to to get underneath that layer, that more superficial layer, uh, I've, I've looked at two sort of categories of dynamics that the Benedictines engaged. When someone wanted to take a vow and enter a monastery, 
there were there are actually three parts of the vow that they would take, and uh, we can unpack those here in a moment. Um, and then after they entered into five core practices that informed everything that they did throughout their day. And so these things have remained true from, uh, you know, roughly 600 A.D. when St. Benedict first started this community all the way up to the modern days. These, these principles and practices have really been truly timeless. So that's where I've dug in to find something that might actually speak to our lives now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, and I, I feel like the second thing that people are like, oh, okay, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not wearing a robe to work or, you know, whatever. Right. The next, the next criticism that I feel like I would hear is just like, I'm, I'm too busy for that. How do you respond to something like that? Uh, well, people are too busy. We are and that's why we need this so, so much. I mean, we are pathologically busy. And we, we work and live at a pace that is largely unsustainable. It is deeply unhealthy, both to our, our, our souls and our relationships and our spirituality. I mean, there's no part of our lives that aren't just a little bit toxic <laughs> because of the culture that we live in. Now, this is the only culture we have, so this is where we're called to show up. But I'm reaching for ways, personally, for me, like how can I show up in a healthier way? Because if I'm as frantic and overwhelmed and harried as those that I'm living around and leading, I'm not going to be much good, honestly. Or, or I, maybe I say my effectiveness will be severely hampered in comparison to the way that I feel like I'm beginning to show up in my life. And the word gravitas, uh, the name of the book, is the word I'm using for that sense of rootedness, that sense of I'm, I'm carrying substance. You know, the word gravitas, <clears throat> excuse me, the word gravitas comes from the word we get gravity from. You know, it's a sense of weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not about being impressive, you know. It's not about wowing people. It's just about being quietly winsome in a way that people recognize that there's something to that guy or there's something to that woman. It reminds me of uh, when Peter and Paul, you know, after the crucifixion and, and ascension, Peter and Paul were arrested and they were being tried by the by the Jewish authorities and. And they, these, these leaders who are the most educated in their culture are just marveling that these disciples are carrying what I would now call gravitas. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how did these unschooled, untrained guys, you know, come to carry such spiritual authority? And all they need to say is they hung out with Jesus. <laughs> and so... If you really want to get to the bottom line of this book, it's all about hanging out with Jesus. Mm-hmm. There is a sense, I really like the title, by the way, because that sense of weight and I think depth that sort of comes along with that, that there's there's so many in leadership 
that they're in pursuit of the next big thing. And, you know, whatever, you know, whatever is being implemented at the top of Facebook, Google, whatever big tech company or big company is implementing in their leadership, they're going to implement it in their business, no matter how appropriate it is for their context. Uh, because it's this idea of like, I got to do the next big thing. And all of the best leaders that I've ever known have that sense of gravitas, that sense of just like, this is what we do. Yeah. Here is our system. They're soft spoken. There's not really a surprise with them. You know, they're not going to change midstream what they're doing. They've developed over the course of time, this rhythm this pattern of not just their lives, uh, but the way in which that plays out in their business uh, and in their leadership to the people that they mentor and the people that they teach that this is, this is what it is. And and it's not as flashy. It's not as sexy, uh, but it inevitably it gets the job done. Um, And I love the way that you're describing that. mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I mean I I just I have a few people in my life. I'm I work as a gymnastics instructor and as a pastor, and I can think of people in my life in both of those areas in which you know the people that that have most influenced me have been those kind of people. And I don't think that I ever related it to this sense of like monastic rhythms, uh, but their sense of leadership yeah. style was just sort of like here I am. I know who I am, and because I know who I am, then I know how to lead. I don't have to try to pretend to be somebody else. Man, that's it entirely. And really the, what, what you're describing uh, fits in beautifully with the first vow or the first major principle of the Benedictines, which is what they called stability. Now for the Benedictines, they, they took that super literally. So their stability was geographical. When you took a vow as a Benedictine, you weren't just taking a vow to the order of, of monks worldwide. You were taking a vow to a specific monastery, a building. <laughs> and you would move into that building, and you would live in that building until you died. <laughs> so I know it's just kind of like mind-boggling to us now. We're, we're so mobile, we don't have much point of reference for that. So I am extrapolating that idea of stability out into, you know, what would it look like to go through our day-to-day life as it is now, you know, as a pastor, as a gymnastics instructor, as a plumber, as a teacher, you know, as a business owner, uh, whether you're working in corporate America uh, or, or anywhere down the food chain what it really feel like to be that rooted, that anchored, that stable in our lives so that we're not just chasing the latest and greatest and, and trying to keep up with whoever is the current flash in the pan. But as you were just describing so well, Josh, it's that sense of knowing who you are and knowing what you're about and being able to pursue that with confidence and without this kind of paranoid urgency that, uh, that pervades so much of the culture today. Mm-hmm. So that kind of hits on the the idea of stability. There's 
it, it's very difficult to find leaders today that are willing to stay in one place. And I don't just mean that in terms of leadership style, but like physically at one company in one location, um, it's yeah. not you, you don't see people anymore in their jobs. You know, like like my my grandfather took a job. He, well, I, I'd say out of high school, but he didn't graduate from high school. Took a job in his early twenties. Had that job until he retired in his mid sixties, and you know moved up the ranks, but stayed with the same company. Uh, and then today yeah. is entirely opposite. That you know the average person is staying at a place you know maybe three years. And it makes it a lot harder right. to find that rootedness in oneself when you don't have the external stability as well. So do you do you find that's harder in today's work culture to find that sort of stability for that reason? Absolutely. That's just one of a, a number of factors that have so influenced our, our modern generation uh, that has eroded that sense of stability. So, yes, you, you pointed to the external stability, and there used to be a lot more external stabilities in our culture um, as, as life has gotten faster as it's gotten more global, as the expectations of business owners and business leaders have just raised the the bar of how many hours you're expected to work and what you're supposed to get done. I mean, when you go onto a job board these days and you start looking at job descriptions, it is ridiculous what at any level what employers want an employee to be able to do. There's a sense of just being stretched so thin and being able to be good at so many different things that we have produced, I believe, a generation of extremely shallow workers that, uh, that breadth uh, definitely ex exceeds the depth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about being a, a pastor, and um, I also w was a pastor for about 10 years uh, some time back, and Boy, it's it's certainly true there, <laughs> where you know you're expected to be uh, a, a business person and a marketer and a first-rate communicator and a planner and a strategist and an organizer and a you know I mean the list just goes on and on. It's like everything in a cape. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tough world, I think, and. Our, our roots as a generation feel like they're getting shallower and shallower. Again, that's what drew me back to the monastic tradition. These folks went super deep mm -hmm. in their rootedness. And, man, I think we could use a little bit of that now. Mm, for sure. All right, so that gets us through vow one. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and go through them. What's the second vow that they made, and how can we apply that to our lives? Well, the second vow uh, they call conversion, and this speaks to uh, a number of things. One, of, the, the first off is their understanding of conversion was a little bit different than our typical understanding today. Um, nowadays, particularly in the evangelical tradition, there's a, a sense of conversion being a one-time event. You know, it's this sort of decision of the will. I'm going to follow Christ with my life, and that's legit. Um, 
but the monastics really looked at conversion as a lifestyle of being constantly transformed day after day into the image of Christ. So there was more an emphasis on the, a way of being uh, in, in our lives and a, an openness, an expectation that God is using the circumstances of every day to mold us into the image of Christ. And that is such a, such a powerful perspective and eternally true. Um, it, it also, that sense of uh, being transformed in our, in our spiritual journeys, it, it requires a God that's big enough and generous enough to engage with us at that level. So the, the big takeaway for me in that chapter is really experiencing the bigness of God, the abundance of God, um, a God who is resourcing us really beyond imagination. And I'm not just talking about breaking sin patterns, although that's certainly part of it, but just about really drawing us into the men and women we were meant to be, vocational mm -hmm. and emotionally and relationally you know, on so many levels. So yeah. in a nutshell, that's kind of what, that's the direction I'm taking with that vow. Mm -hmm. it, it really is a matter of you have to, and I think this goes back to our previous conversation about inward stability. You, you have to have that, that integrity inside of you in order for that integrity to then overflow out of you and be affecting your workplace and to be effective in the workplace. Um, it, it, it starts with understanding who you are and that larger a larger sense of that means coming to an understanding of who God is and how his spirit works in your life yes yes it's so true I've been sort of making passing references to roots and rootedness and so I really opened the book with kind of that classic image of a tree and you know, what you can see above the ground versus what you can't see beneath it. It's just a timeless metaphor for uh, what is needed in the hidden part of our lives to support and sustain what is visible on the outward side of our lives. And and so typically the, the width of the span of the branches on a tree is... is is matched by the, the width and the spread of the roots underneath. And, you know, we don't have to look very far to see leaders, national leaders, spiritual leaders who, who've toppled, so to speak, you know, because the, the reach of their influence grew beyond their rootedness. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't able to support the, the visibility they had and and so that uh, that results in kind of a tragic end for 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 many lives on the public stage, but even on our own personal lives, we can feel sometimes that sense that I'm not sure that that the life I have right now is fully sustainable. There's a need for a greater sense of being secured in God, in our experience of God, in knowing who we are in relationship to him, in relationship to the people 
that we lead to our families. So I, I keep finding myself going back to that picture. Mm-hmm. Going, Lord, just That's a good picture. help my roots to go down deeper and deeper today in you because I, I need it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this leads to the third of the vows, which, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the third Benedictine vow is that of obedience and submission to authority. Yeah. Because it yes. can be very difficult for leaders who are used to being the authority, who are used to being the ones in charge, to recognize flaws in themselves because nobody's willing to point it out to them. Or because they, if it's pointed out to them, they don't wish to listen to that person. So that idea of submitting to authority then, I think, helps with rootedness. I certainly think it does, too. Uh, so for the Benedictines, that sense of obedience was tied very directly to their the leader of the monastery they called the abbot. He was the human manifestation of Christ. That was the way they related to him. And not many of us uh, today have that level of human authority in our life. We certainly have some level of human authority, as you pointed out. Uh, but to to obey, to submit requires a massive level of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether we're talking about with a boss or a pastor or with God. Um, and I think we know that we should trust God and we want to trust God. And sometimes it just feels like we're not entirely sure if life is safe. And uh, our sense of trust often is linked to that sense of being safe in the world. So in this chapter, I'm really reaching to explore what does it really look like to surrender our lives to God with that sort of pervasive trust that we will be held, we will be okay, we'll we'll be more than okay. We will. It's not that God protects us from pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. We'd like to figure that out. But he does protect us in the midst of pain and suffering. And when we allow that to be a transformative force in our lives, then that means that pain doesn't have the last word. And that's to not, not to justify injustice, but that is to acknowledge the fact that we live in a world that is broken and that does cause damage, and sometimes we're the ones causing the damage. So being able to find a way to surrender, I'm talking about every day. This gets super practical for me, Josh. I'm recently in my quiet times in the morning. I mean, this is is simple. It's not some great revelation, but it's been fresh for me. I'll kind of mentally walk through the things in my day that I'm expecting about out of appointments with clients or errands or lunches or what have you, interviews. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, this day's probably not going to look exactly like I planned. <laughs> you know, something's going to come up a little short, not quite follow through the way I thought it was. And uh, that's going to test me. You know, how attached am I to my timetable and to my agenda? This is where... This is where obedience and surrender really hits the road. 
So this is the level that I'm I'm seeking to live out that sense of stability and rootedness where when things go sideways, that doesn't throw me emotionally. I mean, sometimes it does still, but I'm reaching for a way of being in the world where uh, where that rootedness isn't just kind of on the macro of life. It's down in the micro details, hour by hour, day by day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like what you said about the sense of you know, you know God doesn't remove us from pain and suffering, but he is there. His presence is there with us through it you know you, you go back to to psalm 23 and yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me it's not even though you take me around the valley of the shadow over the valley of the shadow it's <laughs> i you know i walk through this yeah. but your presence is with me guiding me through that and I, I i start to wonder you know what kind of leaders would we be if we did not go through turbulent times if we sought to go around uh, every every single potential uh, heartache or heartbreak, um, right. every single tough time in business or in ministry, then I don't know that we would we would improve ourselves much. Uh, I don't know that we'd be able to minister to the people that we need to minister to if we weren't willing to go down those paths and find God's refinement uh, through fire. Um, out of that, the, it's, the test of leadership is not when everything is great and everything is working well. But the true test of leadership is when everything is falling apart, and you need to be able to rally the troops and you know tell them how we're going to carry on. And this is bigger than you, so you have to be rooted in something bigger than you. Um, that you know. That that's the test of a leader. The test of a leader isn't the easy times, but the hard times. Yeah, it's so true, man. It's really true. Those those hard places in our lives. I mean, none of us want them. We we do our best to avoid them, and yet they find us. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank God they do, because as you're pointing out, those places forge character. They forge compassion. You know, our suffering gives us the ability to be with those who are suffering in a way that is Christ-like. And it, uh, I mean, there's so many parts of our lives. It's a funny thing, though. It's not that suffering automatically changes us, but it's a massive invitation for us. If we engage God Mm -hmm. in the midst of this space, then the roots go down deep. If we want to play with that metaphor a little bit longer, it's like the the storm that really rocks that tree, and and even you know maybe causes the roots to come a little bit loose, which enables them to go down all the more. Uh, so yeah, God knows uh, we, this isn't the way we would have designed the world. We would have probably made it uh, a little easier, a lot easier, and. And yet these are the parts that really enrich us and, I think, bring us forth into the folks we're called to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout the book, you talk about how when we implement these rhythms in our lives, it's going to mean a rejection of certain things that we're currently doing. Uh, you know, what, what are some common things that you see in the workplace, in leadership, that implementing these rhythms are like, you know, you, you just, we can't be like that anymore. You can't do that anymore. 
Well, I'll tell you one rhythm that I am reaching for in a new measure in my own journey right now. And historically, it's called either praying the hours or sometimes called the divine office. And this came, again, out of the monastic, straight out of the monastic tradition, where in the early, early days, uh, they would stop whatever they were doing and hard workers, but they would stop at prescribed times, eight times during the day. Uh, in that original setting, it's been kind of pared down to generally five times, sometimes six times a day now in the modern Benedictine tradition. For, my, for myself, I'm reaching for four times a day where I really intentionally have a hard stop. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the the quiet time in the morning is probably the easiest because you haven't really gotten into the the meat of the day yet. And it's easier to stop at the end of the work day, um, which would be kind of the third time of prayer and then a nighttime of prayer. But it's that second time, it's that midday prayer for me that's been so recalibrating in my life because, you know, working three or four hours in the morning is long enough to, to just, for, for me to kind of get back into some of my natural uh, coping mechanisms for the day. Um, you know, the, 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 it's, it's enough time for something to have gone a little bit sour or to just run into an obstacle, something that tests me that I'm not always passing that test, but then sort of stopping right at the midday to say, okay, pretty much anything I'm doing, it's like, er, hit the brakes, mm-hmm. pull out, even if it's just for 10 minutes. And it's, it's a way to kind of say, oh, yeah, that's who God is again. Kind of forgot that for a bit. Oh, yeah, that's who I am in God today. And you know what? This is how I'm meant to show up in this day and carry the aroma of Christ in this day, and it's just a, you know, so what does that cost us? It costs us a little bit of humility, uh, a little bit of time, a little bit of discipline, although it's not like just trying to force a pattern. It really is a heart condition. Just a little bit of structure, maybe is a better way to say it. Um, So it, it means not just starting earlier and working later, trying to burn the proverbial candle on both ends to try to get more done in the day so we feel a little better about ourselves, either to kind of stroke our ego or to solve, salve our, our anxiety. Um, so, you know, it means putting some boundaries around our day. At the beginning, at the middle, at the end, before I go to sleep, simple but profound rhythm that uh, the monks carved out so long ago and you know we don't have to pray for uh, an hour like they might have done originally but uh, we can um, well and it wouldn't have been an hour but it would it's it's a matter of drawing on the heritage that God's given us from those who've paid the price to to carve out a life deeply rooted in God. Now we get the opportunity here 
so many years later to say, hmm, there are a few things here that are useful. And speaking of that, so these, we talked about the three vows, and I'll just, we don't have time to unpack all the practices. I'll just kind of skip through them. The practice of prayer, the practice of study, the practice of work. And I say work as a spiritual practice. Hospitality, really big for the Benedictines. And then renewal. These five themes, I not only try to articulate what they might have meant to the Benedictines, but then hasten to what that might mean for us. And each of these practice chapters ends with several very practical, very tangible spiritual practices that we can try that have been around for centuries. And, uh, but some of these are a bit unfamiliar to us. Uh, things like the daily examine, like Lexio Divina, uh, the welcome prayer, centering prayer. Uh, some of them that we are very familiar with, we just don't do, like practicing the Sabbath. <laughs> um, so these are some of the ways that I'm trying to make this not heady at all, but mm -hmm. really accessible in the normal lives that we lead. Yeah. I feel like people might look at this and there's like, oh, I, you know, I, it, it's hard to see, to, to implement all of these at one time. What, if, if someone was just like, okay, pick one, pick one of these practices, uh, where, where would you begin? You know, the one that comes to me right this moment is the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, this goes back a long, long ways. I mean, when you think about it, it was kind of a odd thing to include in the list of don't murder people yeah. <laughs> and don't commit adultery and don't take stuff that's not yours and don't lie. Okay, keep the Sabbath. And this was especially foreign for an agrarian society who they didn't, you know, work the ground. They didn't eat. So uh, this was this was a supreme act of trust and and expectation that God would do for them rather than them having to do for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that there's something very orienting about our lives today, just to take that simple but potentially life-changing practice and say, okay, what would it really look like to not just go to church on Sunday, but to really take a Sabbath, a true Sabbath, to really refrain from the things that, that get me all wired up in my head, whether that's formal work or other things that are, uh, that kind of get our Jesus flowing rather than really embracing rest, embracing worship, Embracing just the simplicity of a good meal and a good conversation uh, instead of just moment with a screen of some kind. Uh, it's, uh, it is truly the gift that nobody wants. So if you were to ask me where to start, I'd say start with the Sabbath. Okay. I think that's, I think that's true. I think that's, uh, it's so overlooked. We're such a busy culture. It's so hard for us to understand this, you know, to stop. 
uh, and and yet we look into the very pattern of creation, and that's you know God worked for six days and he rested on the seventh day, and if God is the ultimate leader, is going to take a rest and take a Sabbath, uh, it provides a great example for us to do exactly the same. Um, so you, you, I guess, how long had you been practicing these things before you decided you know this needs to be a book? And how did how did this how did this come to fruition for you uh, from practices in your life to on the on the printed page? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'd say probably eight ish years. These uh, these practices that are often today called the contemplative practices. And, and are rooted in this sort of monastic tradition, they have been making their way into my own journey and really changing me in ways that, that had been resistant to change for many years, even as a pastor. So they just began to form me in, in such a way and, and felt uh, enough of this content was outside the mainstream of most of the church life I'm familiar with that I wanted to share that and mm-hmm. try to make that a little more widely understood and, and hope that it might ex- excite and resource other Christ followers as, as it is me. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a, such a push in, in recent church culture, I think especially evangelical church culture to make leadership more like the business world and yes you know this is a decided reaction against that to say you know if anything yeah. um we, we don't need to be conforming ourselves to the world but transforming ourselves uh, by the renewing of our minds uh that this is how we are to live in practice and um i think that you've been a good example of that what so you sat down and you know to write this book. You're saying this is these are practices that have been worked really well for me and in my life. If someone could just only take one thing away from Gravitas, what would you want it to be? I think I would want it to be God's passion for intimacy with us. Mm-hmm. So these practices, yes, they are meant to have a practical help on the function of our lives. But before any of that, it's about it's it's about our, our love relationship with Christ. It, it's it's about really experiencing our belovedness and just how precious that is to God and learning to love the way God loves us and to cherish that, to invest in that, and really make that the axis around which our lives spin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is what I hope really drives all of this. Yeah. Well, Jerome, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. It's been a a, a very good experience. Uh, I can't wait to read the book. I feel like that um, I know <laughs> we, we we kind of gave a more of a more of a overview of the first few chapters, and then very quickly there at the end the the last few. Um, so I'm I'm excited to learn more about that more than I could in just this conversation with you. And I'm hoping that the listeners of this podcast 
um, will feel exactly the same. So again, the book is Gravitas, The Monastic Rhythms of Healthy Leadership uh, by Jerome Bailey. So uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. I love to have a conversation with you, Josh. Blessings.